The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums play an important role in our lives. Nearly every good-sized city has at least one museum. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums are not only important places to display artifacts and teach us, they also contribute to the economic development of the areas where they're located. Now, here is your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. This is Carol Bossert, and welcome to The Museum Life. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. For those of you who uh, have been following along the shows for about the last 10 weeks, uh, you'll probably notice a, a little bit of a theme uh, coming coming through. I, I certainly have, and that is really looking at this idea of, of what value do museums play today, and we've been trying to uh, dig at that just a little bit. Uh, obviously, they are the keepers of the stuff of our lives, of our history. But what does that really mean? Uh, are they just temples on a hill or are they an integrated part of our our daily lives and our communities? And uh, some of you may remember a couple of weeks ago, I had Gretchen Jennings on, uh, on the show and she was talking about an interesting concept called the empathetic music. Museum, uh, and we were some of the questions, some of the barriers actually that museums still knowingly or unknowingly put up that prevent people from feeling comfortable uh, in their facilities, making uh, making people feel welcome. You know, sometimes as I as I listen to these shows again, I think, you know, gosh, haven't we already addressed these questions? And aren't these questions and these issues really obvious? And would wouldn't anyone in the museum feel just be uh, uh, bowling over themselves to make these changes? Well, I guess not. And uh, not to be flip about it, but change is hard. It's hard for us on an individual level, and I think it's really, really difficult on a, on a corporate level or an institutional level. So with that, um, I, I, that, that little bit of an introduction, uh, we're going to be talking today about these uh, questions of leadership and change with a, a, a great uh, museum thinker and professional, Randy Roberts. Uh, Randy has a uh, and brings to this discussion a broad and diverse uh, experience and work history. It spans multiple disciplines. Uh, she's worked in museum education, visitor services, visitor studies. She's worked as an evaluator. She's developed exhibits and programs. She's an interpretive planner. She's also worked in marketing and membership and volunteer management. Uh, she is a one-woman museum professional. 
Uh, she's worked uh, for the New York State Museum, uh, the Schenectady Museum, uh, and also Deputy Director at the Crocker Art Museum. She consults with Museum Nationally, and she was the first manager of the Visitor Studies Association. Now, Randy also holds a master's degree in public administration and a newly minted Ph.D. in leadership and change. And her research efforts continue to focus on the idea of what's the essence of museums and their role in society, both their role today and their potential role as places that really are at the nexus of the past, present and the future. So, Randy, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's a real pleasure to have you, and I know that this is going to be a great conversation. Well, thanks for having me, Carol. I have to say your introduction makes me sound kind of old and unfocused, but um, I, I hope that my, uh, my range of experience has actually brought me to uh, a kind of place where I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more um, specifically and in, in a focused way about things. But I have to say whenever I look at it, when I look at my range of experience, I always wonder if, if it looks like I kind of, you know, couldn't, couldn't make up my mind about what I wanted to do. So it's interesting to hear it. Well, I, I, I do like to, to look at that uh, as someone who has a, a breadth of experience uh, that, can, that, that then begins to pull it all together. And, and I think, and I certainly think that you have. I really admire, uh, your, your insights in the field. But before we get to some of that, uh, as I, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are a newly minted, uh, doctor of philosophy. Congratulations. That is, uh, a, a real accomplishment in any field. But I'm fascinated. Uh, we don't hear about too many museum professionals having PhDs beyond, uh, uh, you know, very very content-specific, you know, having a Ph.D. in art history or in biology. Uh, so I, was, I, I think that it would be helpful for all of us to understand what your decision process was, what led you to continue uh, to be a museum professional uh, and get a, a doctorate in uh, a, a related field. Sure. Well, and, and thank you. Um, Basically, I went to um, my undergraduate education many years ago, and I went to a, uh, a college that um, considered the kind of classical education to be a very high value. And what I found was that although I loved learning, I didn't love school. And um, I was taking a lot of courses that I wasn't that interested in. So while I continued to learn and to, and to be interested and to always want to, to read and sort of expand my world, um, when I was done with my undergraduate education, I thought I was pretty much done with school, and I was pretty happy about that. Um, I did go into the museum field and started um, at, uh, as a visitor services person um, and kind of worked my way around having lots of different jobs, um, kind of learned on the job. And um, what I found was that I, I reached this place where I had, um, and I had many mentors during the time that I was um, kind of self-educating, um, and I finally bumped into somebody, actually Mary Ellen Munley, 
who um, introduced me to sort of the world of, of museums and, and museums as a profession. Um, and when I went to my first AAM conference, I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, there's like this whole field out here and people doing work and thinking about the same things I'm thinking about. And it did get me more um, kind of excited and interested in learning more um, about museums and about, about the kind of world of museums, um, but still not interested in going back to school. Um, and that didn't happen for me until I basically I moved to Ohio and I didn't really know many people. Um, I was working as a consultant and for the Visitor Studies Association and um, and and I had a fairly um, solitary um, time and I'm a fairly social person. So I basically decided to go back to school to get a master's degree because I wanted to um, to meet people and to to make connections. And um, I decided to get a master's in public administration um, so that I could learn about administration and kind of that side of organizational theory. And I think what I found was not only did I connect with people, but I also connected with myself and my own interests. And um, and I became, I, I saw that when I was studying things that I was really interested in, I was actually a pretty engaged scholar. Um, and I enjoyed reading, I enjoyed writing, I enjoyed research. And um, and it was in that program that I actually heard about this doctoral program that Antioch University runs that's a doctorate in leadership and change. And it was very appealing to me because it was both about leadership and change and applying um, leadership theory and change theory in the profession in which you were working. But it's Antioch University is also a place that's committed to social justice, which has always been very important to me. So when I looked at their program, I just thought this is the perfect program for me. And actually, um, a colleague of mine, um, Julie Johnson, who is, uh, was at the Science Museum of Minnesota, is currently a program officer at the National Science Foundation, um, she and I had been talking about going to, um, to school, going back to school, and um, she applied to the Antioch program and, and was accepted. And actually, um, I, I, have to, I have to attribute some of my attendance there to Julie because she called me every day and said, have you sent your application in yet? <laughs> have you sent your application in yet? And, um, and I finally, uh, under pressure from her, um, and of course at that time I was afraid I wouldn't be accepted and that would be a terrible thing. So I did, I did apply, I was accepted, um, and I really found that um, just my world opened up. I, I've I've never sort of felt more engaged in in living and learning, and it really it really um, just was so stimulating and exciting, and um, connected me with people who were who were interested in leadership and change, doing many different kinds of work, and that that's been one of the most exciting pieces is that you know you're studying with a cohort um, who are all over the the country and actually you know all over the globe and are doing all sorts of work that is connected to to leadership and change and social justice um but in many different professions so well i think you know, that's particularly interesting uh where where do muse where did you find then that museums fit uh, within, say, the, the framework of other, other organizations who are also struggling with the issue of, of, of change and leadership? You know, it's really interesting because when I first started the program, I have to say this, I, 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 I looked at work that other people were doing and I just thought, 
boy, you know, there's important work going on in the world, and here we are in museums. And the work that we're doing is not even touching on the kind of level of social justice work that I saw going on in other places. Um, but I have to say that as I studied more and heard more and understood more, um, I, I really started to see how museums can be more effective and more meaningful. And really, what kind of, to me, what I define as sort of an ethical obligation to use the resources that are in the care of those of us who are currently working in museums, the resources that don't belong to us, but that we're, we're caring for on behalf of others, um, to, to work towards making those resources accessible, to making sure that future generations have access, um, to make sure that museums are doing the work um, that we're doing on behalf of the, the, the kind of citizens um, around us. So um, I, I think what I, what I found was that my work was more meaningful than I thought it was. Um, and, I, and I also saw, in terms of leadership and, um, and in terms of change, I think, I think we have some really unique challenges um, and, and some difficult challenges. Uh, you know, I think some of that comes from the fact that as organizations, we are sort of, in some ways, we're about reflecting society. Um, a lot of other organizations were more activists. They're, 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 they're about leadership. Um, they're about moving things forward. And in some ways, I think museums are in this, in this position of um, really questioning, are we about leading or are we about reflecting? And, um, and I, I think that's an interesting, an interesting challenge for us. That, that, that is. What, what, can you give us an example of, of museums being reflective, uh, as opposed to being active, I guess would be the antonym in, um, uh, in, uh, in, in this leadership realm? Well, you know, I think it, it I think there's, it's sort of many examples in, in terms of, you know the kinds of the kinds of exhibits that um, that we do, whatever kind of museum it is, we're we're often kind of reporting on something that happened instead of instead of asking questions about what needs to happen next. And I think you could look across the field at you know any different kind of museum, any kind of museum. I think in you know in science museums, um, you know it's it's like we're 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 reluctant to take on kind of the big questions um, about um, global warming, for example. So so I think we tend to we tend to you know we may look at um, at at sort of the science of of what happens um, environmentally, but we we're not taking on sort of those political questions and and really pushing at the edges of those. And you know some museums are. So I always like to say that whatever whatever um, kind of patterns are, there's always going to be exceptions to those patterns, and it's important to notice some of those exceptions. But I do think that for the most part, museums really do tend to be fairly traditional and 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 fairly um, risk averse. Um, and I think you can look at any kind of museum and, and see that. Um, I know, you know, not, I don't want to sort of name specific names, but I know that there's, you know, museums that are in the center of cities that are dealing with racial issues all the time. And while they'll talk about um, sort of movements that happened in the past, they'll, they're reluctant to, um, to actually take on um, issues of, of, of race 
and 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 discrimination and and inequity um, because they it feels too political. Do you think? Uh, I, I think that's that is a, a very interesting way of of looking at it. Um, you know, it's almost it, it never had never really occurred to me before, but it's almost as if museums, because they are places that are are meant to uh, preserve and interpret the stuff, and they are very cautious in uh, making decisions that could adversely affect uh, the 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 objects, the collections. Uh, that they are conservative by nature. Perhaps the, those of us who gravitate to museums, while we like to think that that we're very uh, liberal, perhaps we really do have a conservative bent to us. And perhaps that collectively that that cr- creates a culture that is uh, 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 be conservative first, um, you know, as you say, risk averse. Uh, that 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 we've really created a, a a culture that prevents us from moving forward. Well, and I, I mean, I think you can't talk about this without talking about the funding aspects of it too, because I because I do think you know a lot of the. Um, Fear is around is around funding and um, and are we are we pushing agendas that are not um, fundable or not going to be popular um, and I and I think that's a piece of it and then I also think there's a, a very valid questions about is it really the role of museums to um, to to sort of you know question and and to to bring to to, to sort of sit at the edge of questions. And I and I've heard really good arguments on both sides of that, so I I I don't know that I um, that I really advocate um, museums being more activist. I, and I think for me, what's important is that museums use their resources in the way that they're best positioned to use them. And I I actually have a slightly different um, take on that. I think because because to me, I think that. Um, Museums are really about kind of deepening um, the understanding of, of of self and other people, and that kind of notion of empathy and how do we live together. Um, I think they're about kind of opening pathways to finding meaning and 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 also to connecting human experience and connecting us in relationship, both across time and across a place. And I think those are aspects of kind of being and being human that are really important to to developing each of us fully as a human being, which I think makes us better enable to do the work that we need to do in the world to make the world a better place. Um, but but I'm not sure that we have, have sort of um, come to an understanding about how museums best do even that kind of essential work um, at, or nor have we defined, you know, that kind of work as the work that is the work of museums. So I think there's a big question about what is that work of museums, um, you know, and, and, and I think it's a really important question to, to figure out. Um, I, I, I do yeah, think... I, I, 
I, I, I want to stop you there. We're going to have to take a short break, and I can see you winding up again. And so when we come back, uh, uh, we're going to talk more with Randy Roberts uh, ab- about this topic of how museums can uh, begin to claim their identity, uh, identify their, their essence as institutions. And uh, you are listening to the Museum Voice. I am Carol Bossert. Remember, you can connect with us by telephone or email, you can always reach me at carolbossertservices.com. We'll be back in just two minutes. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radioshow at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Hello, thanks for uh, coming back and joining us. I'm Carol Bossert, and I'm here with Randy Roberts. And right before break, Randy was talking to us about some of the ways that museums really can claim their identity and perhaps even their their ethical purpose of uh, being place that places that help us reflect upon what it means to be human and how we engage. Uh, in in society is is that uh, is is that a good uh, summation, Randy? I, I think so. Yeah, and and I think for me, what's what's really important is understanding how to best use our resources that um, in, in in ways that 
are not um, the same as other organizations. So how how we are unique. Museums are unique, and so how do we how do we take advantage of what is unique about museums to provide the kind of um, environments and, and services and products that actually contribute to building a, a, a better society and to and to each of us developing you know to, basically to our full um, potential as human beings um, and I and I know that sounds sort of lofty but I I also think if we don't sort of drill down um, really to into what what are what what are museums about? What are we really here for? Um, why should people invest in in museums? Invest money and invest time. Um, if we don't do that, then then it feels like we can get pulled um, in lots of different directions. And um, and and while you know there's still some good work that is done, I'm not sure that it best uses the resources. And that's part of where I I, I think is important is is um, is museum collections. I think, I, I think you know, that the objects that are held in museums are extremely important um, in terms of sort of placing ourselves in the world and, and, and reflecting our humanness and understanding self and understanding other people. So I think that that's where that kind of um, integration and um, the transactions that happen between objects and visitors, those encounters, are um, are part of of what's so important about museums. Well, you know that I I, I think that's that's that is uh, uh, key. As you've been talking, it seems to me that one of the challenges that we still face as museum professionals is describing that value to mm-hmm. to others, and and it comes down uh, I think often to how do we measure. That that value, uh, you know, do we measure it with uh, people tromping through the doors? Do we measure it with uh, fingerprints on the cases? Uh, <laughs> do we, you know, it 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 seems to me that this is the other challenge uh, that we face, and and uh, uh, I sometimes I I feel that we uh, as museum professionals are are simply um, you know sort of riding the horses down whatever stream is useful today. You know, we we say, oh well, we're you can measure our value because of feet coming you know across the threshold or you can measure our value because of the money that that we we bring in the door but it seems to me that you're you're advocating for a different different kind and different set of values yeah um i think so and i you know the measure question is such an interesting question and i think it's it's just something a lot of people have been thinking about you know and um and i think there's a lot of Kind of interesting um, ways of thinking about it. I do think you can't discount things like attendance because if you don't touch people and you don't interact with people, you can't claim much value and much meaning. But you can't stop at those numbers. And I think that's 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 sort of. Um, I, I guess to me, like a lot of these questions, there's just not simple answers to them. There, there's a lot of complexity to them, and we have to be able to kind of wade through some of that complexity and 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 not not kind of rush to answers. And it's I think it's part of what I've learned is is to have a little more patience with ambiguity and with unfolding of meaning. Um, so that's that's just I think in general for me um, is something that's important. Um, and I think and I think in our 
in our world and not the museum world, but the, the big world, we're kind of always in a hurry for the answer. Um, and I think for me, what I, what I kind of what part of what I, I want to advocate and what I care about is kind of slowing down and, um, and, and letting some of these answers unfold for us. And I do think that's part of even this idea of measuring. Um, my, my research was, um, was a, using an approach called hermeneutic phenomenology, which is about interpretation of lived experience. And it's a really different way of sort of looking at what matters in museums. And um, it's a, it, it, is, it is empirical, but it is not quantitative. So it's, uh, it's a way of sort of hearing from people um, about their their own, you know, what we call the lived experience. Like, what is a visitor's actual experience of the museum? And then being able to see from that experience what are some of the themes and 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 sort of directions that come out of um, how people actually use a museum that can help us as professionals understand kind of potential for use so that we can frame some of our practice around how um, people are actually using the museum. And I learned quite a bit in my, this is my, uh, my doctoral studies about, about the way that people were, were using the museum. And can a you lot give of some it, examples? Yeah, well, a lot of it was connected to, um, to this, this idea. This is where I started thinking about it's, a lot of it is about sort of exp- our, our kind of capacity as human beings. So I think, um, people, people did a lot of work on, um, understanding themselves, um, there was a lot of connection with what I called experiencing others' experiences. So, um, sort of, sort of, um, expanding the realm of our own experience by understanding other people's experience and, you know, really almost vicariously having some of these experiences. Um, being, being present, which I think, especially in our society today, is something that people kind of crave and it's often lacking. There's a lot of distraction. So I think one of the things that can happen in museums um, when when it's work when things are working well is people have this, these moments of sort of being present, um, which are important. And then um, there were also spiritual things that happened for people. Um, you know, these are uh, called numinous experiences. So they're they're sort of spiritual experiences that happen with objects, where people are very moved and taken in by an object, and really have a, um, an experience that takes them beyond kind of their their everyday world. So there, it's in some ways I like to think of museums as kind of um, disrupting the everyday in a way that's not distracting, but in a way that sort of brings a greater focus on being present. And then I think the biggest thing was was a notion of um, you know understanding that happens at the kind of place where the past, present, and future are connected. And I think museums are sort of uniquely positioned to um, to give opportunities for people to, uh, to 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 find understanding at that kind of um, you know what we call the fusion of horizons. But it's it's sort of that place where we're constantly moving from the past being in the present and thinking it towards the future. So I think, I think it's, you know, museums are, 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 are really in some ways um, unique in that perspective. 
So people do that kind of work, but they but but having the objects that that they can connect to and having those environments that can can give you a sense of being present really um, creates a space for having that kind of um, that that kind of experience of being at that fusion of horizons, which is how we place ourselves as as humans in the world. You know, Randy, that's very interesting. I want to sort of stop you there. We, you know, I keep coming around to the word that you used, and that is reflective. That museums are reflective of society, and it, the uh, descriptions of the of the experiences that that you found that people had in the museum, many of those uh, I would categorize as as reflective, reflexive, um, uh, intellectual, um, uh, perhaps emotional, but 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 sort of in the mind and in the heart, uh, change within the individual. And I find that uh, a fascinating counterpoint to what so many of our museum uh, exhibits and programs uh, uh, have been doing, uh, say, certainly over the last 20 years, where we've we've gotten on this, this kick of saying, oh, we need to be entertaining and we need to be fun and we need to do things that are very physical uh, and and immersive. And, and I'm not discounting any of those things, but it but it, is that almost working that mindset? Is that working against what you found that visitors are really drawn to in museums? Well, I think that's an interesting question because, you know, I, I found even with um, some of the the um, professors and, and, and uh, scholar uh, type academic folks I was working with when I talked about um, a being, talked about being and, and, and presence, that people went immediately to the space of it, it being contemplative. And I think what I found was not was not quite that. Um, I, I, I found that people have this presence in many different ways. So they so sometimes they have it in a sort of um, celebratory way. Sometimes it's really about connecting, and uh, in a in a in a, a fun way. It's about humor and and laughter and um, you know kind of programs where people may be dancing and singing and. So I think that um, that what you bring up, and, and, and it's a concern of mine, is that it's not about um, interactive and, and participatory for the sake of those things. And I think that's the mistake we sometimes make is that, you know, there's various quality of hands-on um, activities, just as there's various qualities of exhibits and various qualities of labels and all of various qualities of pro- any kind of program. And I think that what we need to make sure is that whatever we're doing brings people to a place where they're more present rather than adds to their distraction. You know, and it's one of the things I say about, about technology and exhibits, too, and, and integrating technology is that, you know, that's a, that's a great thing. But what we have to make sure is that the technology is contributing to presence, to to um, to sort of people being present, not necessarily in the museum, but in themselves, like being able to be there um, rather than distracting them. And I think, you know, there's so many um, distractions in the world. And I, some of my study was based in philosophy, which... Um, is not was not kind of um, philosophers from from our current time, so they weren't talking about distractions that were based in technology or you know television, um, but 
but they still talk a lot about the difference between being distracted and being present. Um, and there's always distractions, and distraction um, kind of takes us out of um, living in in a in a way that's present and mindful. And so I think what museums need to do is is concentrate on that sort of present and mindfulness, which I do think happens not always as a as a way of being contemplative. I think I think um, hands-on things can make people more present and mindful. They also can be distracting. So I, so I think it's really, that's where I, I, I always say, you know, for me, that's, that's why I use the word essence, and which maybe isn't even quite the correct word. But what I mean is, you know, always being aware of the, the why and the what's underlying. And to me, you know, one of the important things is this notion of mindful presence. And so I, I'm, I say, you know, whatever activities you do, they may vary quite a bit, but what should be at the core of them is my mindful presence. You know that that um, that is something that I that I want to sort of embroider on my uh, uh, on a on a pillow and and ha- <laughs> or, or a wall hanging and put here in my office. And I think I also want to send it to every architect and museum exhibit designer that I work with. And because I work with some phenomenal people, uh, uh, very creative people, but I I wonder if. If again, um, you know what what you've been talking about, what you've been researching, and is so very fascinating, and this discussion that we're having today is fascinating, um, but it's maybe not getting that mindset isn't getting to the people who actually develop programs and exhibits, uh, and and so I, I'd like to sort of veer our conversation for a little bit, maybe into how you know here you are, you're doing this wonderful uh, uh, doctoral uh, research, which is exactly what our 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 culture was set up to do is that we have these opportunities for people to dive in and ask and answer tough research questions. Uh, and in some fields, uh, there, there are very easy ways to communicate that information back to the practitioners. I'm thinking if you were, uh, you know, if you're an MD kind of doctor or if you're, uh, uh, you know, if you're a lawyer or even if you're a, a, a literature, uh, professor, you're going to sort of know that, that body of literature. But, what happens uh, to the uh, to the rest of us uh, who are in a in a in a field where maybe it's so diffuse we don't get uh, to understand the value of of the of of these really great research questions and uh, and having now asked this very broad uh, question, uh, I'm going to let you, Randy, think about that answer for just a little bit, and we're going to go to a uh, break, and when we come back, I'm going to give Randy an opportunity to respond. Uh, Remember, you're listening to The Museum Life with Carol Bossert. You can reach us by telephone or by email, and you can always reach me at carolbossertservices.com, and we We'll be back in just two minutes. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite, live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radioshow at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and I'm here with Randy Roberts. And right before the break, we I had asked Randy uh, uh, to give us her thoughts about how we take all of the research that's going on in museums and visitor studies and really uh, uh, create the bridge from research to practitioners. So, Randy, um, I, um, what do you think? Well, I, I think that's a, a big question. And um, and I think I don't really know the answer, but I have some thoughts about it. Um, you know, and I think um, in a in a timely uh, as a as a sort of timely reference, I, I want I wanted to actually um, reference something that Nelson Mandela said, and I, I think you know certainly um, Nelson Mandela was one of the um, not just great leaders of our time, but the great leaders of all time. And, and one of the things he said that I, that I really take to heart is um, he, he said, action without vision is only passing time, and vision without action is merely daydreaming. But vision with action can change the world. And I actually think that's part of the answer to your question. So I think that what it says, what that says to me is that, um, you know, there's not a magic bullet and there's not an answer. This is about hard work. And it's about chipping away both from the perspective of thinking about our vision, um, fine-tuning and honing our vision for, for what museums can be and what we need to be, and then um, working and, and, and having our feet on the ground and doing, and doing the practice. Um, and I think it has to go in both directions. So I think that um, 
there need to be more opportunities for forums like the kind of work that you're doing, Carol. I think, um, you know, with your, with the radio show and the interviews, um, the kind of work that we do at, at conferences and the kind of work that happens with journals and, 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 and books and articles. And I am seeing more books that I think are about kind of this, this way of thinking, um, and more people thinking about, um, what's the purpose of museums and doing work on that. I know, um, at the um, California Association of Museums conference this year, which is coming up in March, um, the um, the theme of the conference is about the essence of museums and and what is sort of ha- how do how do museums work as um, in ways that contribute to society. But I think that what becomes really really important is that um, we start to build more of a body of knowledge. And I have to say, one of the things that that drives me crazy is we seem to have um, the same conversations over and over again. And it's one thing when you sort of build on the conversation. I think um, Stephen Weil was brilliant at this um, notion of building. He he basically um, wrote about the same thing five, six, seven times, but every time he um, he advanced the idea and 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 came and focused it more and and broadened it more, and I think that's the kind of work that has to be happening more. Um, so we can't um, kind of come up with an idea and not understand where it came from and not and not sort of place it in in the um, sense of the full understanding of of what what has been written about and what do we understand and it's hard to keep up with that. So I think you know there's a there's a whole lot of um, answers to your question. I think um, one of them is is that each of us has to take responsibility for keeping ourselves informed. I think um, a lot of this comes down to leadership. And I think that we need to have leaders in place in museums who are who are thoughtful and who are not chasing money um, and not and not you know who are not making decisions um, purely based on a financial model and understand um, you know the the kind of business of museums as being about creating value and really really delve into what does that mean and how do you create business models that are about um, sustaining the work of museums, which is about creating value for their communities and and about, you know, sort of um, this whole notion of, of creating environments where people can become more fully um, participatory in, in, in kind of the, the life of their life and the life of the community. Um, and, and then I, I think that for, for, for practitioners, they, they need to kind of keep themselves informed. Um, I, I also see a role for museum studies programs, um, and, I, and I see a role for advancing um, kind of study of theory in museum studies programs. I think there's a whole new generation of uh, museum leaders coming up who, um, who need to kind of, again, situate themselves in what is known and then, and then build on that. Um, and, you know, for me personally, I like to think about this stuff, but I also um, I also like to practice. And so, um, for me, I, I always look at putting myself in a place where I can kind of try these new ideas and work with people who are trying new ideas, um, and and to 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 be able to kind of take those risks. I think that's that's very interesting. It occurs to me while uh, as as you've been talking, particularly as you were talking about you know museum leaders, that. 
one of the challenges that we face as a as a profession, uh, as a as an industry, uh, is that our museum directors and our museum leaderships can come from a variety of of backgrounds. Uh, you know, now if you're if if you're going to be a surgeon, there is only one way that you can be a surgeon. Um, uh, you have to go th- to medical school. But in the museum world, uh, you can be a uh, a museum um, uh, frontline person, you can be a program person, you can be an exhibits uh, uh, developer, and you can be a museum director from a variety of walks of life. And, and while I would hate to lose that diversity uh, that is brought uh, from uh, so many people coming uh, from different walks of life and and bringing their acuum and their their uh, their shared um, you know their their personal knowledge. It seems to me that it then takes a while to build up that shared vision or shared vocabulary. So I guess my question to you, Randy, since you've just recently received, you know, a, a, a doctorate that then is is being, um, you know, that that you're now using, do you see a role for museum studies programs offering of a, a doctoral level program? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I I think um, I think it would be fabulous, and I I do think that there's a need because I you know I think that that. Um, there is a need for, again, for kind of building this body of knowledge so that we're not um, continuing to reinvent um, things we already have, um, that we're building on uh, ideas that we have and, and sort of moving ideas forward rather than sort of, um, you know, each generation sort of discovering anew the same thing that we that we have been discussing a decade ago and two decades ago. Um, so I think, you know, you, you have to continue to have these kind of conversations. Um, they're really important and you have to continue to write and push at ideas. But I, but I really think, um, it moves it forward when they're building on and, and knowing whose shoulders am I standing on? What, what work has been done before me that I'm building on so that I can get to a next level? And I think, um, doctoral programs could start to, um, in many ways to kind of capture some of that knowledge um, and, and really start to push it to a next level. Um, I, you know, I think that um, leadership-wise, I think that part of what's really important to, to, um, to kind of uh, integrate more is a notion of distributed leadership. I think that we need to stop thinking about leadership as just being about directors and the top of the organization. Um, and I really think that's how change is going to happen in museums is that um, it's going to happen when leadership happens more across the museum at every level. And I do think that leadership is something that has to happen and does happen at every level. And the best directors are directors who enable leadership and create the environment where, um, where leadership is expected um, across every level. And, and, and I'm talking about, you know, from every, every, everybody in the, in the organization. Um, and that's where I think this kind of change is also going to come from. Um, you know, I think that as as more people are able to um, to be effective, and more people who have knowledge of various areas are able to get their ideas integrated into the way that um, the practice works, 
the more that um, that we're going to be able to to change the way museums work. So, if you um, uh, were going to give advice to someone, perhaps in their you know senior year or junior year at university right now, and and they said, "Hey, you know, I've just this all sounds really interesting to me, and I'd like to pursue a career in museums." What advice would you give them? Well, I I think that um, there's a couple of things. W- one is that. Um, I always tell people to try to get experience because I think there's, you know, you, there's nothing that beats working. And, and um, you know, you may think you're interested in one thing and get your foot in the door and find, well, that's not really what's, what's interesting and what I'm passionate about. And you have to find what you're passionate about because, you know, it's not a, you, you, no job that you have is always going to be fun all the time, no matter how fun it seems. So you want to have the kind of passion that continues to keep you engaged and involved. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm actually a believer in museum studies programs, um, not because they help you get a job necessarily, but because I think they give you a context to come into the museum world with some background and understanding. Um, I think people should read, and I think they should. There's a ton of good books out there, and I think they should. They should really get out and start to um, to look at all of the different um, writing that's been done about museums. You know, from John Cotton Dana forward, um, and I think um, you know, get a better idea of why you're in the field, what what's driving you, and find your place because there's a lot of room in the museum field for people with different passions and different interests. So I think a lot of it is about opening your mind um, and, and getting out there. But I, I, don't, I don't think there's any, um, any substitute for experience and internships and, and kind of working in the, in the workplace and in different kinds of museums because that's the other thing I learned in my career is that, you know, each museum is different, but our different, our different kind of um, disciplines are very different. So working in an art museum is very different than working in, in kind of a, a, um, a natural history museum or a history museum or, or a community museum, a multidisciplinary museum. And you have to find the best fit for you. Um, and then the, the, other, the other thing, you know, piece of advice is I, I think in a lot of ways it's about fit. And different museums in our field are doing different kinds of work. And what's p- partly important, and it's not something I might say to a um, to a young person because I don't know that they're at this place yet, but it's something I often say to older people, is part of what's important is to understand your own uncompromisable values and that we all have to compromise through our lives. So we all have to, you know, compromise to get along. But there are certain things that are, um, that we know at our core are what really are meaningful to us and, and how we want to live our lives. And I think identifying those things and then finding an alignment with the work you're doing um, is, is sort of the key um, for me to finding meaning in my work. So I think, I, well, I think, thank you, Randy. I think that that is excellent advice for uh, whether you're going into the museum field or whether you're, uh, you're searching for a job anywhere. There, there is it is always a challenge, no matter what field you're in, whether you're the museum director, whether you're on the frontline visitor services staff. Uh, you, you have to understand that there's your workaday world, as you say, um, and then there is sort of the broader purpose that you are are, are trying to fulfill. Um, 
and and you have to keep both of those things in mind. I I guess Randy, um, we've got about three minutes to close. Uh, if you had, um, you know, in I, I'm going to ask you a terrible question. Uh, and <laughs> be prepared. Um, in in one sentence, um, if you could, what what was the one thing that was most that most surprised you that you learned from your doctoral work and you're taking with you now? Um, that's not a terrible question. I love that question because the the one thing that I that I did discover was people are way smarter than we give them credit for. And I say that because um, people told me when I was going to do the study I was going to do that they didn't think that people would be able to, um, to they didn't think people were going to think deeply during their museum visits. They thought that, that people would say um, as they were visiting that they would say things like, I'm looking at a painting and this is what the painting looks like. And that was absolutely not what happened. Um, and every single participant in my study, and they ranged from 21-year-olds to 70-year-olds um, across the country, and every single one of them um, thought very deeply, was very engaged, um, and, um, and, and very, very much um, uh, able to understand themselves and, and to, to explain what was happening for them. And I think that's an important lesson about respecting our visitors and understanding that they have have voice and we should listen to them. And it is for me part of what I feel is that um you know my is that it, for me understanding really comes from from really listening and from hearing how people are experiencing things. So I I give a lot of um credibility to that notion of lived experience. Oh Randy, thank you so much for for bringing that up. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think as museum professionals and practitioners, we forget our visitors. We say we don't, but we do. And so with that um, uh, reminder that our visitors are really smart and they're as smart as we are, if not smarter, and we need to be in dialogue with them uh, all the time, uh, uh, both uh, directly and through uh, the programs and activities uh, that we provide. Uh, I think uh, that's something else that I want to embroider on a pillow for my office. Uh, <laughs> Randy, and for everybody, and give it away as Christmas gifts. Uh, Randy, thank you so very much for uh, sharing your insights and your thoughts and your experiences today. I think it gives us a lot to think about as museum uh, practitioners as we we move forward. And uh, thank you so much for uh, uh, suggesting that this show plays even a small role in that. I certainly hope so. So I hope that everyone has enjoyed the program this week. Uh, remember, you can always uh, reach us by telephone or uh, email, and you can always reach me at carolbossertservices.com. I'm looking forward to a great show next week as well, uh, so I hope you'll join me. Until then, this is Carol Bossert for The Museum Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. With the weekend coming up, why not plan a trip to your favorite museum or one you've never been to? 